welcome to the Clerk Commute Podcast. Where we discuss clerkship content, share up-to-date research, work through interesting cases, and gather position advice for your next rotation. We would like to thank BMO Academic Consulting for sponsoring this episode. BMO Academic Consulting helps students get accepted to medical school and match to top residency programs. After helping over 55,000 students and a success rate of 93.5%, BMO is the leader in admissions for healthcare programs. As part of their sponsorship to our podcast, BMO is offering all listeners one free session with their admissions advisors. This session can be used to help you with your application documents for either medicine or residency, CASPER prep, MCAT prep, or interview prep. You can use the code BMO free session to book your free advising session. Good morning, clerks. Welcome back to another episode of the Clerk Commute. Today, we will be learning about polyarticular joint pain, a common challenge in both family practice and internal medicine. This episode was edited by Dr. Gregory Choi, a rheumatologist at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center. So Meg, how much about arthritis do you remember from pre-clerkship? Well, I remember the names of the different kinds of arthritis, osteoarthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, and so on. I'm pretty comfortable with the basics, but I'm not sure that I could tell them apart if, if a patient with joint pain walked into a clinic where I was working. I think that's how a lot of clerks feel. Joint pain has a wide differential and the differences among conditions can be subtle. Today, we're gonna talk about a systematic approach to polyarticular arthritis. That is arthritis affecting multiple joints. There are too many different kinds of arthritis to discuss in one episode, but we hope that this episode gives you an approach to the patient with joint pain. So, Step one, distinguish between true articular pain and periarticular pain. So the pain can come from the joint itself, which is true synovitis, or adjacent structures such as bone, tendons, bursa, etc. And this would be periarticular joint pain. Some clues on physical exam can help you distinguish true articular pain from periarticular pain. The first is, that non-articular conditions like muscular injuries, tendonitis, or bursitis will present with a normal passive range of motion, but a limited active range of motion. Usually the active range of motion is limited by pain. True joint abnormalities present with limitations in both active and passive range of motion. Articular abnormalities cause a limited range of motion in all directions, whereas periarticular causes are more commonly associated with pain or range of motion limitations associated with moving in the joint in only one or two directions. So if a patient presents with pain in their shoulder, but they only experience pain with, for example, abduction, but no pain with flexion, periarticular causes of pain, like a rotator cuff injury, would be higher on my differential than something like shoulder osteoarthritis. Yep, and you would also expect that person to have less pain with passive abduction than active abduction. So after we determine that the pain is truly articular in nature, we can move on to step two, which is classifying the pain as inflammatory or non-inflammatory. So inflammatory arthritis, let's talk about that first. Meg, do you remember any features of inflammatory joint pain? Yes, I do. One, warm and swollen joints. 
two, pain that improves with use, and three, prolonged morning stiffness, which is classified as greater than one hour. All correct. Another clue that points you towards inflammatory pain is other evidence of systematic inflammation on review of systems. Can you think of any examples? Some examples include malar rashes, rheumatoid nodules, psoriasis, also photosensitivity, oral and genital ulcerations, Raynaud's phenomenon, dry eyes and mouth, also referred to as Sika, bowel inflammation, pericarditis, serositis, usually used to mean peritoneal involvement, and pleuritis. Great. So rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, systemic lupus erythematis, or enteropathic arthropathy, and ankylosing spondylitis are all inflammatory forms of arthritis. Now we can talk about non-inflammatory arthritis, aka degenerative or osteoarthritis. So Meg, can you think of some characteristics of non-inflammatory arthritis? Yes. So this form of arthritis it has variable onset and severity. It is characterized by less than one hour of morning stiffness and pain that is aggravated by activity and weight bearing and improves with rest. Some evidence of osteoarthritis on physical exam includes bony osteophytes at the joint margins, joint line tenderness, crepitus, joints that aren't warm or erythematous but may have a small amount of swelling, angulation deformities, especially with osteoarthritis of the hands. One important thing to note is while we often consider osteoarthritis as simply degenerative or non-inflammatory arthritis, this is an oversimplification. The pathophysiology of OA is complex and does involve inflammation. However, OA typically has fewer inflammatory features on physical exam than other arthropathies. So after determining whether or not the joint pain is inflammatory or not, we can move on to step three, which is describing the pattern of joint involvement. So Meg, what kind of information do you need to fully describe the pattern of joint involvement? I would need to ask about the number of involved joints the type of involved joints, large versus small joints, symmetry, the onset of joint pain and progression, the time sequence, whether it's episodic versus persistent or other, and functional limitations. Does the patient have difficulty with everyday tasks like opening jars, holding or lifting objects, climbing stairs, or getting dressed? Great. Let's review the patterns for a few common forms of arthritis. First, osteoarthritis. So primary osteoarthritis commonly affects the hip, knee, lumbar spine, distal interphalangeal and carpometacarpal joints of the hand, as well as the first metatarsal phalangeal joints in the foot. Uncommon OA sites include the wrist, elbow, shoulder, and ankle. Osteoarthritis is usually symmetric, but in early stages can start with a single joint. Post-traumatic OA can develop at sites of previous injuries, so any joints in this way can be affected. Rheumatoid arthritis, on the other hand, is symmetric and most commonly affects the wrists and small joints of the hands and feet. Do you remember the key joint that can help you distinguish rheumatoid arthritis from psoriatic arthritis? Yes, I do. I remember memorizing that rheumatoid arthritis is DIP sparing. 
Exactly. Rheumatoid arthritis is less likely to involve the distal interphalangeal joints, but psoriatic arthritis more commonly involves these joints. So let's talk about psoriatic arthritis now. So this one has a wide variety of possible joint patterns. So we can have a symmetric and polyarticular pattern, very similar to rheumatoid arthritis. We can have isolated dip or DIP arthritis. We can have asymmetric oligoarticular arthritis, so over one but less than five joints. We can also have axial involvement, such as sacroiliitis or spondylitis. For psoriatic arthritis, cutaneous disease is usually present before joint pain, and nail involvement, like nail pitting of onycholysis, is very common in patients with joint pain. And finally, let's talk about ankylosing spondylitis, which is more common in young men. Please keep in mind that the terminology surrounding spondyloarthropathies is evolving. More recent scientific papers would often use the term axial spondyloarthropathy. And this presents typically as low back or buttock pain with an inflammatory feature. It usually starts at the sacroiliac joints and ascends towards the spine. Peripheral joints can become involved in as well. Now let's move on to step four. Confirm the suspected diagnosis with the appropriate investigations. Meg, how can we confirm a diagnosis of osteoarthritis? OA can be confirmed with an x-ray. Features of OA on x-ray can be remembered with the mnemonic LOSS, L-O-S-S. -S. L stands for loss of joint space or joint space narrowing, O for osteophytes, S for subchondral cysts, and, and subchondral sclerosis. How about for rheumatoid arthritis? Anti-citrullinated peptide antibody levels are much more specific to rheumatoid arthritis, and they correlate with the development of erosive disease. What about rheumatoid factor? Rheumatoid factor, or RF, is a nonspecific immunoglobulin that can be found in patients with chronic infections and other autoimmune disorders. The diagnostic values of ordering RF is limited by how nonspecific it is, but it can be helpful when a patient is presenting with signs and symptoms of inflammatory arthritis, and the pretest probability for rheumatoid arthritis is already moderate. And for psoriatic arthritis, how about this one? So psoriatic arthritis is usually a clinical diagnosis that is made when a patient with cutaneous psoriasis develops joint pain. Great. And finally, how about ankylosing spondylitis? Plain radiographs may show bilateral sacroiliitis, squaring of the vertebral bodies, and the formation of structures called bridging syndesmophytes but an MRI of the SI joints may show characteristic changes before such is evident on a plain radiograph. Amazing. Now that we have an approach to joint pain, let's answer some questions to review what we've learned. So Meg, Jeff is a 42-year-old male who comes into your office with left shoulder pain. His pain is interfering with his job working in a warehouse because he now struggles with overhead reaching, especially when lifting heavy objects. Is Jeff's pain more likely to be articular or periarticular in nature? What physical exam findings would help you confirm your suspicions? This sounds like periarticular pain because it's associated with specific movements, in this case, overhead reaching. 
occupational risk factors related to repetitive movements put Jeff at risk for a rotator cuff pathology. On physical exam, periarticular pain would present with pain only with certain movements, and that is more severe with active range of motion compared to passive. Question two, Keith is a 74-year-old retired elementary school teacher who presents to your office with pain in his knees. The pain is bilateral and gradually worsens as Keith goes about his day. Keith is having more difficulty with walking long distances and he finds his knee pain is less severe on days where he rests. Keith denies experiencing any morning stiffness. What kind of arthritis is Keith most likely to be experiencing? This sounds like non-inflammatory arthritis because it's worse with activity and better with rest. And he has less than one hour of morning stiffness, although in this case, he denies any morning stiffness at all. And the pain is symmetric. It affects both knees. The most common form of non-inflammatory arthritis is osteoarthritis. Question three. Janet is a 35-year-old woman presenting to you with joint pain and stiffness in her hands, feet, and knees, as well as lower back pain. Her joints are warm, and she finds that stretching helps somewhat with her pain. Her joints are the most stiff first thing in the morning, and she notices that she has trouble making her coffee 45 minutes after waking up due to the stiffness in her hands. What other questions would you want to ask Janet? Janet's joint pain is most likely inflammatory in nature because it's better with activity, the joints are warm, and she has prolonged morning stiffness. We should ask Janet about extra-articular symptoms, such as rashes, including psoriasis or lupus, nail changes, photosensitivity, oral ulcers, Raynaud's phenomenon, dry eyes and mouth, and inflammatory bowel disease. We should also better characterize her joint pain pattern and also how her joint pain has been progressing. DIP involvement would make rheumatoid arthritis less likely as cause. Janet has a scaly rash on her scalp and her nails show evidence of pitting. She denies having any other extra-articular symptoms. On a physical exam, her dip joints on her left hand are swollen and stiff. Let's say that a physician ordered blood work for rheumatoid factor for Janet, what would you expect the results to be? Janet's most likely diagnosis, based on this history, is psoriatic arthritis. So she is most likely RF negative. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Clerk Commute Podcast. Catch you on your next commute.